Hey, what's going on, everybody? Dr. Z here. Welcome to the Z Time Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk to you guys about a little bit of the missing piece. What is the missing piece in between the nature and nurture conversation? Why is it that when we looked at the studies from Dr. Stunkin back in the day, if you listen to my previous podcast, and if you didn't, Dr. Stunkin was just one of the doctors back in the day, who studied obesity, was one of the first ones to study obesity. And he said that um, that, that obesity was about 70% genetic from studies that he did with twins. Because, you know, if, if a, 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 a twin from an obese family would come into a thin family, uh, they would still be obese. And so that's so interesting that he said that. And the cool thing about his research was that you know, that he did want to destigmatize obesity so that people would not be judged. And so I think that was positive. Uh, I think the negative was that we then believed that we could not help obese, obese people, that we couldn't help them. And, 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 and from that, the belief that 70% of it is genetic, right? But it can't be all genetic and it cannot be explained from uh, for, for, you know, just by the genes, because study shows that, uh, well, first of all, from 1977, obesity increased in a major way. And so a lot of societies didn't even have uh, obesity. Uh, and so so it, it happened. Uh, it happened in a way in which um, it suddenly started happening in our society, not only because we started having abundance of food. We had abundance of food before. There is other cultures, many Polynesian cultures that had abundance of food, of fish, and they never had obesity like they do now. Um, it's because of the introduction of the industrialization, the introduction of the new um, the new way of eating, the introduction of all the new products all of that that's happening right now, that's one factor of it. But I'm going to break down for you what is it, right? And so in a way, there is many hypotheses that say, okay, there is a hypothesis that said that human beings are supposed to gain weight. The thirsty gene hypothesis. The thirsty gene hypothesis says that, yeah, we're supposed to gain weight because in phantom, um, we are supposed to gather this weight so that we don't die in air, you know, in times in, in, in which we need um, fight for survival. The only thing that's wrong with that hypothesis is that only hibernating animals do that. Hibernating fam, uh, animals do that, not human beings, right? Because human beings do not hibernate and so there is different also in between obesity and and fat accumulation for um for a period of time in which you're hibernating like a bear and uh other animals that hibernate and so the 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 the, the thought that we are getting obese so that we can survive then a famine um, it doesn't really explain what's happening. So this hypothesis is still kind of wrong in a way because, you know, also to survive in the wild, you need to have a body that's balanced in between fat uh, and, and lean body muscle, uh, mainly lean body muscle so that you can run and you can fight back, right? And so the thirsty gene hypothesis did really didn't work. And so 
as you can see, you know, uh, a person who has 5 to 10% uh, body fat who runs a marathon, uh, who, who's a marathon runner, can survive about 40 days without food on those stores. So it's very efficient to be able to do that. Uh, human beings are very able to do that. So the thirsty gene hypothesis didn't really explain why, you know, why is it that some people are predisposed to being obese. But this, the, the work from Dr. Stunker doesn't either because uh, he said that it was 70%. That means that only 30% would be, um, would be environmental. So when I was looking at this research, I was completely confused. Like, what does that mean? And so why is it then that when we looked at the, uh, start, the work from Dr. Chirak Patel in Environmental Association of Type 2 Diabetes, and the work of, uh, you know, taking into consideration all of the genome, only 30% of type 2 diabetes is explained by our genes. Only 30%. So where is that missing 40%? Where, how do you get from 30% by the genes to 70%, right? How do you get that? And so I'm going to explain to you guys why and where is the missing link. Well, you see, genes are only just the blueprint. So it's like having like a cookbook in your house. Imagine if you had a cookbook. There is no way that you can... Um, that you're going to do all the meals in one night, right? You're going to pick a meal for whatever you need. If you have a holiday, you're going to cook a different thing. If you're in the morning, you're going to cook a different thing. And so the genes are just the blueprint that our body uses to be able to create anything that we need. And we have different things um, uh, different things from the genome, uh, more things. And I'm going to break that down. For instance, the genome is just the DNA, right? And then from that, it gets transcribed into RNA. And then that is the transcri uh, transcriptome. And the transcriptome is when start, uh, you know, it starts getting all of the messages ready to go out. All of the, um, um, all of the DNA in a way that is going to be turned into proteins. And so we start with a genome that is 20,000 to 25,000 genes. That's all we got. But then the transcriptome increases to about 100,000. And so it's like starting to take all of the books, all of the book, the, the recipe book, and then getting the, all the ingredients, right? You're getting all the ingredients, and then these ingredients, then you can combine them. And so, and so that actually creates 100,000 transcriptomes, right? And then from that, then you can create proteins. And so that's the proteome. That's the proteome. So we're talking about the genome, the transcriptome, the proteome. And then from these proteins, you end up with about a million proteins. We have about a million proteins. And we have proteins that help us with enzymes. We have proteins that are structural that hold us into place. We have signaling proteins that help us communicate in between cells. We have regulatory proteins uh, like hormones. We have transport proteins, proteins that help take things to... Uh, uh, one part of the body to the other one. We have sensory uh, proteins. We have motor proteins that help us move. We have defense proteins that help us fight, um, you know, or, or that help us get rid of 
bugs that are overwhelming our, our system. And then we have storage proteins, proteins that help us store. And so the combination of all of those things, that is what is called the metabolome. And so we talked about the genome, we talked about the transcriptome, we talked about the proteome, and we talked about the metabolome. And so that's where the money's at. The genes are only 20,000 20,000 to 25,000 human genes, but the transcriptome is a lot bigger. The proteome is a lot bigger, ending with the metabolome, which is what we see, like sugars, nucleotides, amino acids, and lipids and fats. And so that's what is so cool that that's where the epigenetics comes into place, because every action that we take can influence the transcriptome, the proteome, and the metabolome can influence the way that our genes are expressed. And, you know, a lot of these proteins are in the brain, in the endocrine system, in the lungs, in the bloodstream, in the liver, um, in our, you know, in our genitals uh, for women and for men, in, in our fat cells, in our heart, in our GI, in the pancreas, in the kidneys. I mean, everywhere we have different proteins um, that came from the same, the genes, the genome, the transcriptome, the like the the messaging uh, that was going to become the proteins or the proteome and then the metabolome, and so that's really cool, and so that's where a lot of the money is at, right? That in there then lies uh, the, the the beauty of being able to do anything with our genes. You can choose to cook a different meal with that blueprint. And so that's what the cool thing about our genes are, that we're starting to understand that we can actually use those 20,000 to 25,000 genes for different reasons, right? And, and, and act, activate them in a different way for different people. Now, the cool thing is that that's not it. That's not all of the story. That's not all of the story. You see, what happens is that from there, from there, we can also, there is also bugs in our stomach. And these bugs in our stomach also have DNAs and also have um, stars making proteins and they end up having metabolomes just the same. And so these metabolomes start influencing our bodies in the same way that our own metabolites like the sugars, the nucleotides, the amino acids that are made from our own DNA. Now the DNA of the, sh of the bacteria is also making these things. And then that goes and does the same thing. It has all sorts of proteins doing all sorts of things in our bodies and can lead to a lot of the metabolic disease, right? And so that's where the money's at, in the proteome, in the, in, the, uh, in the transcriptome, in the metabolome, and then in the microbiome, in the microbiome. Now, we know that from studies in Israel that were done, that depending on your microbiome fingerprint, depending on the way that your microbiome looks, you're going to interact differently to different things in your body. For instance, if I eat a banana and you eat a banana, our sugar response is going to be completely different or similar, but it's going to be different. And in some cases, very different because of our microbiome fingerprints, because the bugs in our stomach are going to deal with that sugar in a very different way. And an obese person has a different microbiome. A overweight person has a different microbiome. And 
a thin person has a different microbiome and then a muscular person has a different microbiome. An athlete has a different microbiome than a triathlete, right? And so so that's another piece of the puzzle. So now, you know, it's not about genes and environment alone. We know that within the biome, we have the genome, we have the transcriptome, we have the proteome, we have the metabolome, and we have the microbiome. All of these things coming together to be able to take what is in those genes. Now, here is an amazing thing. Here's the crazy thing. Can we actually, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, uh, Assassin's Creed. I love that movie because it's just amazing how in this movie, if you haven't seen it, these, uh, they're like warriors that, you know, travel through time and um, not travel through time, but I don't think they die. I forget exactly, but they don't die, right? And, and then, or the new ones, the new people who are born actually have the memories in their genes, right? And so it's really cool because they devised this machine to be able to look at that. Of course, that's super sci-fi, but here's the kicker. Can we actually transfer memories from our parents to our kids? Can we actually do that? Can we transfer experiences? That's the crazy, um, that's the crazy question that, that, that a lot of scientists are asking themselves right now. Can we really do that? What do you think? Do you think we can transfer memories from one generation to the next one? So not in the genes per se, the genes are going to be the same, but is there memories and experiences that we are transferring to each other? So those twins that Dr. Uh, Stunkin was talking about, that he studied, they had the same genes, right? But the genes could only explain for 30%. So where is the other percentage? And we know from other environmental um, studies, we know that uh, that genes only affect 30%. So where was that 70% number that he thought was associated only to the genes? Well, could it be also that it's due to experiences that were passed down from generations? The cool thing is that this is not just some vanilla thing that I'm talking about. It's actually... There is actually a lot of cool science that's coming out from this. And most of, a lot of this science, um, there is a scientist out of Emory University that's coming up with a really cool uh, science. And his name is Dr. Brian Diaz. And he's doing some amazing studies. So the way that he's doing his studies, the first study is, okay, can an experienced be passed down to an, an next generation? And so what he did is he took mice and he actually caused them uh, to have traumatic exposures. And so he took the mice and uh, he gave them an odor. So he conditioned them to the odor and it was at, um, acetophen. Uh, acetophenol and, and, and he used this odor and then he shocked their feet, right? And so they, they, um, they associated the odor with being shocked. And so that was a traumatic experience for the mice. And then there was a receptor, a receptor that was activated in these mice, right? And so then what happened was really, really cool. He then checked the next mice, the next generation, generation uh, one and generation two from these mice, and guess what? They were actually um, showing that they inherited, they inherited 
the changes in this gene, not to the gene code, but to the way that this gene is being turned on or off through something called methylation. So that this gene was being turned on or off. Like the cookbook, like if, you, if, if, if your grandma left a sticky note on the cookbook to do something different with that cookbook, right? And so that's a methylation group. And so then these new mice actually had that same activation to the odor. Other mice did not. How fascinating is that? Now, that is kind of tough because now that means that, yes, they pass down genetics and genetics are important and genetics have an influence, but also the experiences. And if they were obese themselves, there is a lot of experiences, a lot of behaviors, a lot of beliefs, a lot of um, environmental issues that led them to be obese, right? A lot of psychological issues. And so then that got passed down. And so what does that mean? Does that mean that there is no way that we can then help these people and help ourselves? You know, I myself have been overweight. Right now, I'm actually overweight. And so I'm losing the weight again. And so can we help ourselves do this? Absolutely, we can. And the cool thing is that Dr. Diaz did even a bet, I mean, even a cool study. So the, the study then, he took the same mice and he said, okay, can I actually reverse this behavioral, neuroanatomical stress responses to the parents and then stop the generational uh, influence, the, uh, the intergenerational influence? And so that's fascinating. And so what they did is they actually took the same mice, they exposed the adult mice to the odor, the um, acetophenone, and then another odor. And then they trained the mice that these odors were associated with mild shocks in the foot. And then they trained the mice to associate these odors um, and then to the, to the mild shocks, but then extinguished their fear towards these odors with odor-only presentations, meaning that they taught them that the odor meant the shock, and so they, they, they would have a startle response, they would have a startle response, and then they would extinguish the fear by teaching the mice that, no, that odor doesn't mean that anymore. The odor doesn't mean that you're going to get shocked. Guess what happened when they checked their offsprings their offsprings that have been from the parents that they the fear had been extinguished did not have the same changes, um, the same changes in their genetic makeup. So they were not like traumatized still. They are, their fears were also extinguished. And so this study shows the potential of using extinction-based behavioral strategies to help reverse influences of parents. And if we have the parents, that's even better. Work on ourselves first or work on the parents so that the offspring doesn't have the same stressor response in their genes. I think this is super fascinating. And this is the work now that is realizing that we can have all of these neuro, um, you know, neuroanatomical changes that happen when because when they test their neurons they can see that these mice are actually more prone to this that startle response and when it is extinguished that goes away 
And so we can definitely um, pass down experiences through the little tags that go on our genes. And then this leads to a different mice, a mice that will startle, a human being that will startle, a human being that will, uh, that will be more prone to taking different behaviors. And so, but the cool thing is that with that second study, we know that it can be extinguished. That's the cool part about it. It can be extinguished, many of these things. And so props to uh, Dr. Diaz because this is some fascinating research and uh, really excited to see these forward. And so remember, we thought initially that it was all people's fault, that they were obese because it was their fault. And then Dr. Sunkin came in, Dr. Sunkin came in and he said, no, he's 70% environmental, so please don't judge these people. Okay, great, because that was useful. We need to not judge each other if we go through something like that. We need to have compassion uh, and, and relentless um, support, right? And so that was useful. But then we now have the exposome genome, pro the exposome human project, the genome human project, and we're able to understand that no, wow, genes only can explain about 30% of this inheritance. So what else is going on? What else is going on? We have it on our transcriptome, we have it on our proteome, we have it in our own metabolome, then we have it on the microbiome and the metabolome of that microbiome. So all the sugars, nucleotides, amino acids and lipids, all of the proteins that are also created by those bacteria. And then on top of that, we have the memories, the memories and experiences that get transferred down through not only through our genes, but also through our microbiome. And tomorrow I'm going to go a little bit more into detail about how we can actually influence our microbiome. And does it influence our microbiome? Does it influence our metabolome? And that way you know how much power we really have as human beings to transform the way that our body uses our own genes. All right, everybody, that is it for today. I hope you guys have a phenomenal day. And remember, thrive on, thrive forward and take it easy. Bye bye.